0: What's up, Fight Fans? It is Rafael Garcia back for another edition of the MMA Ratings Podcast. Today is Thursday, October 12th, and I want to thank you again for giving us some of your time on your always busy week to talk all things MMA. We got a little bit to talk about. Um, first and foremost, my uh, partner, Sean Hume, is going to join us. He's running a few minutes behind, and you know, he's, probably, he's probably running around with one of his little girls right now. So um, being super dad as he usually is, so we'll give him a few minutes to join in, but first and foremost, as always, wanted to say thank you for taking the time to listen to our show this week. We were unavailable last week, actually, because Schwan was, um, had a personal matter that he had to deal with. I'll let him explain more of that later on in the show if he wants to, but he has something to deal with, and that kept him off the show, and we were unable to get together to get on, but... We're back this week, as always, to talk about everything MMA. we got um, a couple of things to talk about. Even though this is a week where there's no major MMA events on TV, that does not mean that there isn't anything to talk about from a sports side. So we definitely have a few things to discuss. And we definitely got some um, some news bits and some other points that we can look at and joke around and talk about. So, with that in mind, let's go ahead and look right into the news stories from this week. So, there's quite a bit of um, things I, w- I want to talk about, but before let's go back, let's go backwards in time, um, and let's talk about UFC 216 from last Saturday and we where we witnessed two important title fights. We witnessed, um, first and foremost, Demetrius Johnson defend his title for a record 11th straight time, and uh, break Anderson Silva's historic run when he defeated uh, Ray Borg via armbar, crazy armbar too, and we'll probably well, talk about that in a second, but crazy armbar win for him. So we're um, gonna want to talk about that, and then also we had Tony Ferguson, who became the interim lightweight champion when he defeated Kevin Lee via triangle. So there was two big important wins there, and I want to talk about both of those wins and what is next for those guys. But I think they have some interesting pathways, some interesting conversations to be had there. So let's go ahead and and start our conversation there before we get to the news from this week. I mean, there, so first and foremost, we have the fact that Demetrius Johnson, I mean, I don't know what else this man has to do to continue proving just how much of a star he is within uh, MMA, but I mean, the dude goes out of his way to get a submission finish Late in the fight, I think what, what um, was around five, I believe he got, he got the finish there, but it was definitely late in the fight. Takes a major risk to get another finish in defending his title, and he does so in highlight rule fashion. And you know that's my thing when guys get wins and he get wins via highlight mm-hmm. rules. I can always appreciate that, and he did just that on Saturday when last Saturday when he secured that armbar win. And I'm in uh, for difficulty sake, I want people to understand just how hard it was to actually get that back suplex into an arm bar I mean he lifts He lifts Ray right Borg into the air and If and I don't know if everyone's had the opportunity to watch it in slow motion, but he you the, from the minute he lifts Borg into the air He's already adjusting for the arm bar So I want you to go back and look at that because he's catching the arm right at the bend of the elbow is coming down, and even before Borg hits the ground, he already has one leg over Borg's body. He has a, he has his left leg over Borg Borg's body to kind of secure that before stepping over the head. I mean, w- from an armbar standpoint, for someone who practices, you know, you always you're always taught that the armbar wants to be tight. You don't want there to be any space, any opportunity for your partner to adjust or partner to move. More often than not, when you see on bars hit, there are very tight movements, very tight movements until like that final leg comes over or the or the popping of the hips. This was totally different from that. This is one big movement opening and created a space there. And then he drops down for the finish, and I mean, there was nothing Borg could do. You could see him trying to fight, you could see him trying to do the uh hitchhiker's pass to get out. He was trying to roll over, and it was he had nowhere to go. Um, and I knew he was definitely in a tight spot there. Hey, Sean, how are you doing?
1: Uh, good, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing good, sir. Doing good. Uh, let's turn things down a little bit. Um, you joined us right on time, sir. We uh didn't get too far into the conversation. We're talking about Demetrius Johnson's win at UFC 216. So let's start there, man. What did you, what did you see with that, uh, with that big arm bar victory over Ray Bort?
1: Uh, I, the fight really went the way I thought it was going to. Um, he just really outclassed them. The, the thing about it yeah. is it's, he's to the point now where he's got to win spectacularly for him to make an impression because what he was doing through all five rounds is pretty much what everybody expected him to do, outwork Borg, outposition Borg, control Borg, break him down on the feet, control him on the ground. Demetrius is to the point now where just getting an arm bar, getting a rear naked choke, dropping somebody with a knee, that's not gonna cut it. For him to get attention, for him to build any sort of momentum with the fans, he's gotta find creative and dynamic ways to win because the way he's been, he's been so dominant at this point that anything else is just, you know, par for the course. It's, it's another paint-by-the-numbers win for him. So the fact that he was able to score that kind of armbar is the kind of thing that I think will help him get a little bit further along with casual fans and maybe have some potential for getting some momentum as a crossover star. I don't, I don't think that'll be enough to make him a huge star, but I think it's a good beginning. Because so far, I mean, he did the board whatever they expected. So it's, it's really impressive the way he finished the fight but in a certain instance, given the fact that Borg wasn't really a challenge for him, even though he was a ranked guy, it kind of takes, takes away from it a little bit because Borg was obviously a class and a half below him. But the creativity and the difficulty of how he finished makes it, um, makes it a little bit easier to uh, swallow, I think, in a long run. So when you look at
0: that victory there, what – I don't want to say what else does Johnson have to do but what is next? If you were in his ear, if you were his manager, and he was like, you know, I'm gonna do whatever you tell me to do right now, what is it that you would tell him? What advice would you give him next for his career? What next step would you make him take?
1: Well, if he's trying to just, you know, break records and continue to you know do what he's doing and show his excellence, then he just keeps on the path he's going on. If he really wants to make more money and get kind of name value and draw some kind of attention, then he's gonna have to fight somebody with somebody at a higher weight class or somebody who's got more of the public eye as far as their popularity. That, that's really the only way he's going to to get what he wants, so it, it really depending on what he wants. So far he's been focused on breaking the record, establishing his dominance, being the best person at his weight class, and he's already done that. So if he's really looking to like take that next step forward as far as finances or take that next step forward as far as the company really promoting him or fans really buying into the interesting aspect of a fight he'd have to fight somebody to hire a weight class because at this point nobody believes that anybody at 25 can beat him and they don't think that the large majority of people at 35 can beat him with the exception of maybe Dillashaw, Cruz and um, and Garbrandt. So if, if he's talking about if he's talking about maximizing his money and getting a real push from the organization and have a chance to make some real money and do some numbers he'd have he'd have to move up and and before I let you talk I just want to make one point. What he did was more difficult than something like the Showtime kick or other big knockouts or submissions we've seen, but like, the, the thing that made the Showtime kick so spectacular is because it was a back-and-forth battle between P- Pettis and Henderson, and when Pettis did that kick, that essentially won him the fight, won him the round, and won him the fight. In this fight, it was like Demetrius was just outclassing this guy, out-athleting him, out-toughing him, out-physicaling him, and then he just put the finishing touches on him. So even though it was a spectacular once-in-a-lifetime finish, it's kind of like uh it's kind of like he was doing it to such an inferior opponent that even as impressive as it was it it lost some of its shine because it's against a guy you were completely dominating now it had to have been a back and forth fight where he's getting pushed to his limit and then he pulled that out. think about how much think about how much harder that finish would have hit home in a really competitive back and forth fight
0: um I think I want to disagree with you all on on that there and i and from some and this is i think it depends on who you're talking to from a hardcore standpoint, people who understand, or even people who may train or have some type of concept of what goes into putting, putting it together, an actual armbar, I think that they would respect that just as much because it goes against everything that you're taught about securing an armbar. So I was saying that right before you joined us. It goes against almost everything. Armbars are supposed to be slow. They're, they're tight. They're very um calculated movements usually until the hips are popped and the knees are clenched to finish um this was totally different than that he used a big quick movement and an even faster movement to plop onto the arm bar that totally goes against everything you're taught and then on top of that he didn't have to do this to get he didn't have to do that he didn't have to take that big risk to close out the fight he could have coasted and gotten a um a five round domination victory. I mean, one false slip and he could be on the bottom taking shots from Borg and closing out the fight. You don't know, I mean, you don't know how the ref may react. All it takes is a, a bad a, a bad situation and we got a bad finish and then we're talking about a totally different situation here. He didn't have to take that risk and I think taking that risk and from a hardcore standpoint, and people who know what is needed to do there, I think that that um that, that kind of elevates what he, he he did to get the finish.
1: No, I, I and you know what? I can't I don't I can't argue. I don't argue that point from that perspective of uh, the technical aspect in the hardcore point. I I get it completely. It makes perfect sense to me. The only reason I say different, I say look at it from another perspective. It's like it's like um, Ward, Andre Ward when he had, he had all these fights where he just clearly dominated. He was just outclassing people. The first fight against Kovalev, even though it wasn't a big seller, that's where a lot of people found their respect for Andre Ward because he got dropped. He's facing a guy who was a comparable athlete, comparable level of boxer, who had big power, and he had to come back in that fight. And people had never seen him come back. they just seen him dominate, dominate. Sometimes he closed out when he didn't have to. Other times he would just, rot, he would just outclass him. The minute people saw him get tested, see him get pushed, and they had to push back, that's when it really started... People's really started to take a shine to him because as much as people like seeing dominance, to a certain degree, people like to see that struggle. They don't want to see just a 56-0 blowout in a Super Bowl. You want to see two teams go back and forth. In a boxing match, you want to see two guys go back and forth. I mean, and I'm not saying that I I don't appreciate the technical aspect of it, but to me, and just my opinion, I feel like if it would have been a back-and-forth fight and, like, you know, maybe even DJ's behind and then he goes for this move, when he's behind and there's a lot of pressure on it, like – if he, if he doesn't make a move or do something dynamic, he's he's gonna lose his fight. And then he comes from behind, or he's in a tight fight, and he does that same move where there's pressure, where not just where you could it lose, where you're losing a fight, or you could lose it off that move, because it's such a tight fight that make to me it would make it hit home. Cause it's it's like it's like me outboxing somebody who can't box, or somebody who's not on my level of boxing. It's like watching Floyd Mayweather against Conor McGregor. Yeah, Conor's got some skills, but it's just a matter of time. The fact that Floyd, the, what made it interesting, was Floyd made it a fight by walking towards him and forcing the fight. He could have just outboxed him, but he decided to give the fans what they wanted. And it, it's kind of similar to that. It's it's very impressive. It's very dynamic. It appeases the fan, and on a technical level, it's very impressive. But just the circumstances. I, you do the same, when you hit a when you hit a big shot, when it's a tight game, and when you hit a big sh- when you hit a shot when it's game, you're you're up by forty points. On it's just a little bit different. And, and i understand what you're saying and i, I appreciate that but i just think it would it would have really driven it home a little bit more had the fight been competitive but as i said before there's not many people in the in either weight class the way when he's at or the one above who could really be who could really compete with him on a physical and technical level True. so i point. think that kind of takes away from any performance because he's so far ahead of people it's like not even a question it's like how, how what's he going to beat him with now is he going to arm by arm is going to ankle lock him pound him out for five rounds. Nobody even has any any sense of danger to him. You know, the best we got was Tim Elliott and really Tim Elliott was only competitive for a round. The fact that he just made it exciting while he got beat up gave him all sorts of credit, but we haven't really seen a competitive or intriguing Demetrius Johnson fight in in what? 2 years maybe?
0: Um like, I think the last one was John it. Johnson.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean there's there's no interest. Nobody's nope. Yeah, nobody's there's that's part of the reason there's no interest. Since there's no clear way of beating him and he's showing that he's now classing everybody in every area, you don't see how he could get beat. So it's like now you just, as far as the attention and the fanfare, that goes by how people relate to him and how much he's pushed. With somebody like Anderson and other guys who are a little bit more flawed, it's like, oh, well, you know, Anderson can't really wrestle. He might get taken down and controlled. He might get submitted. With D.J., you don't have any sense that he's going to get taken down and controlled or submitted or knocked out on the feet. You just, you feel like he's got the advantage in every realm. And that kind of takes away from anything he does as far as reaction, which gets people to buy in. and gets people to buy fights.
0: Yeah, some good, some, um, good looks there. So if you are a part of UFC leadership, do you talk to DJ? Whoops, do you talk to DJ and his camp and pitch the idea of him stepping in to face either TJ or Cody Garbrandt? um whoever comes out and you're moving around a lot i can hear it against the microphone yeah okay sorry yeah so do you um pitch the idea of him fighting tj or cody after next like he's effectively cleaned out the whole division there is anyone else left besides except maybe like a sergio pettis but do you say to him okay we're gonna put you up against the winner of tj or cody and do they pay him a million dollars? You know that that that's what's go, what he's going to ask for. He wants a seven figure payday. Is now the time for them to make that happen?
1: I think I think the best thing if I was them, I would have a conversation with. Them. I'm not going to say we're going to put you here, we're going to put you there. I'd have a conversation because Demetrius is going to do what Demetrius wants. Clearly, after the last issue him and Dana had, he's going to do whatever he feels is right. So. I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna make a discussion. Be like, if you want to proceed to do these flyweight fights and fight the contenders and 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 assert your dominance as an all-time great as a flyweight, which is already which is already there, that's fine. You can continue to do that. If you're in, if you're interested in making a bigger paycheck and you're interested in really getting the machine behind you, you've got to help us out. You've got to give us a fight where people are like, I don't know. This guy is so much bigger than him this guy is so much stronger like where we have we can make a story because the biggest issue he has is they're not promoting me they're not pushing me but you're not giving you haven't shown enough flaws and you're not facing a level of competition that can even allow us to build a story about the dangers or the risk of this fight all the fights you're in are basically how great you are how are you going to finish this guy how are you going to outclass this guy how can he no there's there's no there's no danger there's no suspense that's not appealing to people so if you want to continue on this route, fighting flyweights, that's fine. We'll support you. We'll talk about how you're the best. We'll do our best to market that. But if you, in fact, want to try and make one last push to kind of get the big pay-per-view, to kind of draw some attention, to make a bigger paycheck, then you know we could set something up with the the, the winner of Garbrandt, the winner of Garbrandt, Dillashaw, or maybe the winner of, after that fight, maybe if Cruz wins, you and Cruz, or. Cruz fights whoever, and if he wins, he gets the title. If they beat him, then they fight you next. But it has to be something where we could build a story around, because that's what sells the fights, the stories, the the personal interaction. And since you are insistent on saying it's another day at the office, and it's not personal, and it's just what I do, and it's just my job, then it's up to us to build a story. And the only way we can build a story is if you give us an opponent who people believe is threat to beat you. So we're just trying to help you out. We're trying to figure out how to meet you halfway. So you can do what you're doing, and that's fine. We'll support you. But if you really want to take that next step, you're going to have to meet us halfway, and, and be willing to take, move up, or take a, take a cat, you know, t- cat fight. Something you have to give us something so that we can. You want to get. Just think about like how in boxing, Saul Canelo was making lots of money fighting these other guys, but when Floyd Mayweather said fight me at this catch weight what did he do? He fought him, so he could get that 2.2 million pay per view and that big paycheck, and that crossover attention and that appeal. He couldn't do that fighting just anybody. And Demetrius Johnson isn't even a big star, so he can't do that just fighting anybody. That's how I'd approach it with him. I wouldn't attack him. I wouldn't try to corner him. That's not going to work. Just have a conversation. Let it be his choice. So you can do it this way or you can continue to do the way you want to do it. Either way, the choice is up to you. We're just going to support you the best we can in either instance.
0: Yeah, some good points there. Um, Next, so let's look at the other champion from the night where we saw Tony Ferguson come out on top in the main event where he uh, used a triangle choke to um, secure his interim lightweight title when he submitted Kevin Lee in the third round of that fight. There are a couple of different points I want to talk about here. First and foremost, the action itself. What did you think? Did you think that this was um, a more competitive fight than you thought it would be? A lot of people were expecting Uh, Ferguson to straight wash Lee throughout the bout, but I think Lee had some good points there Some very good points, especially early in the fight he was clearly getting more gas like once the third round started creeping along, but um break down the action for me What you saw there first
1: the fight essentially went the way I thought it was going to because um Lee's actually improved a little bit his striking's gotten a little bit sharper so and defensively. He's not great on the feet but his striking has got his setups for striking, his footwork, his timing has gotten a little better, and, is, and the delivery of the punches has gotten a little bit cleaner. So, as a result, his defense isn't exposed because there's not as much, there's not as my, there's not as big a window to counter him in when he's using his strikes. Secondly, he's a far, far superior athlete to Tony Ferguson. Kevin Lee is probably one of the better athletes in the lower weight classes. Like, even among the athletes who are the type in athletes at the lighter weight classes, he's one of the better athletes as far as dynamic speed explosiveness physical strength so that also allowed him to have a lot of success with ferguson on the feet the main issue i always had with with kevin lee is kevin lee is not good defensively kevin lee the way he fights is very attribute based so it's dependent on his ability to explode into things explode into takedowns explode into shots explode into his offense he's improved but he's still not what i call a really technical really sharp guy he hasn't put it together all together. Like, he can throw a jab well. He can throw a right hand well. He might throw, like, a jab and a hook well or a jab and an overhand right. But for the most part, he can't really put combinations together. He can't consistently set up his shots without tells. But he's so dynamic and so athletic that even if you recognize what's coming, he's most like nine times out of ten, he's going to land it. But the thing about it is when you depend that much on your athleticism, you wear down faster, same way Anthony Johnson tends to gas out because he's so explosive in his movements he's throwing so hard he's throwing with so much power he's exploding to get into every spot to get a takedown to get a reversal to get out of a submission yeah there's technique but a lot of his athleticism and just exploding and muscling through things so early on I knew he was gonna be able to get to to Tony Ferguson because Tony Ferguson is a guy who his strength is his chin the pace he sets and the, the ability to transition through different ranges in the fights. So his defense isn't really there early. It wasn't there against it wasn't there against Thompson early. It wasn't there against Barboza early. It wasn't there against um, Lando Venata early. All these guys put the leather on him and put a lot of it on him early. At some point, he gets the timing. He adjusts to the speed and the contact. He starts establishing his jab, and then he starts putting on his pace. And that's where the guys lose these fights. And that's essentially where Kevin Lee lost it. Kevin Lee came out early, throwing him around, landing big shots, taking advantage of his def- his lack of defense taking advantage of his lack of Tony's real lack of definitive skill in in each range. He's good in each range, but it's like he's either offensively good or he's defensively good. He's not offensive counters and defense good in every single range. So how he covers that is he phases through ranges. He's not super good at long range. He'll phase into the pocket. You start getting to him in the pocket, he can phase through into the clinch. You're not, you can hold your own in the clinch. He'll phase into takedowns. At some point, he's going to find you in a range that you can't handle, by pushing that pace and that's where he takes advantage of you. And that's all he did with Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee came early, took him down, roughed him up a little bit, banged him around a little bit. Tony survived it. He started figuring out his timing, figuring out his range, he got his jab going. And once he got his jab going, the whole fight was turned around from that point on. Kevin Lee's la- lack of defense ended up exposing him because he doesn't have the footwork or the timing to save energy while being defensively sound. Everything's explosive. He has to jump out of the way. He has the lean out of the way excessively he has a move in and out of position because he doesn't know how the precise footwork and body position to work his way into position and work his way out so when he's tired his any 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 idea of defense falls apart unlike somebody like a canelo when he was tired he was able to last because he knows technical pivots angles positions leans parries and blocks kevin lee doesn't have that so he started dinging up kevin lee on the feet kevin lee engages him gets on the ground and it was just a matter of time before he finished him because kevin lee can't maintain a pace and kevin lee's defense has never been good whether it's on the feet or on the ground he's just he's just good enough with enough athleticism to keep him safe but the minute he slows the step the minute he gets tired the minute he has to work at a pace that's not comfortable to him his defense falls apart his offense falls off and his defense completely disappears and that's exactly what happened. His defense fell apart and he got stuck in a move that he wouldn't have got stuck in in the first round or maybe even the second, but he got stuck late and then he got finished. And that, that's pretty much the way I saw the fight going from the day from day one. As dynamic as Lee is, the only chance he had to win this fight was early. And once he didn't win it early, it was just a matter of time before Ferguson made the adjustment, walked him down, started beating him up and finished him.
0: So I definitely agree with you there, and that is what you've been pointing out for such an extended period of time. Um, do you think that Kevin Lee's value increased at all? And, and you know, before we start talking about Tony Ferguson and you know, his position as champion, what's next for him? I have two more questions about Lee. Do you think his value really increased at all in this fight, like the way he looked, and even even some? even some space in his reaction you know seeing him break down in tears right there on, on the spot like it like that was something that was interesting to me as to as well and i haven't had, heard a lot of people ask or talk about that but did lee kind of grow as a potential star that the ufc can, can continue building around in the near future
1: well i think a couple of things works really one when lee talked about possibly getting the title and talking about issues that uh come up in in the community black community or with minorities, I think that got him a lot of fans from a demographic that doesn't always support mixed martial arts as much as other demographics do. I think that got him some attention and it showed that Lee isn't just some loudmouth guy who wears weird with a weird clothing style who can't seem to find a shirt that closes. He's a guy who has some depth. He's a guy who has some maturity. He's a guy who has some kind of awareness and that's important a lot of a lot of fans nowadays want a fighter i mean a lot of fans don't want fighters to think or be anything more than athletes but there's a lot of fans who do and when they see a guy like that who can who can speak on topics and speak on them intelligently and have some kind of motivation to want to incite change before he gets the belt before he gets the big money that appeals to some people so i think that helps him out a lot as far as the way he reacted after seeing that kind of passion and that kind of desire i know some people think it's Being a coward or being a bitch, but there's a lot of people who say that's just passion that shows you how much he wanted to fight. He's not trying to be cool. He ain't trying to wear sunglasses. He's not trying to disrespect the guy who beat him by saying, Oh, he never hurt me. And I, I, it was me. I beat myself. He gave him full credit. He owned his loss completely. He he talked about his struggles on the way to getting this title shot. He talked about his struggles on his way to making it to the cage, and he talked about how bad the hurt it lost, how much how bad the loss hurt him. That's very important. That resonates with fans. That's going to make a connection with fans who have who aren't superhuman fighters. They're not these great athletes. They're regular people who have failures and struggles, and and have to give their all j- just to accomplish anything. So there's a certain segment of fans who now have a soft spot for Kevin Lee, who respect who might not like how he talks. But they respect the kind of person he is as a competitor and as a man. As far as the fight, technically, this kind of fight will only help you get better. And um, you fight Tony. A lot of people want to sleep on what Ferguson's done. Ferguson has fought a very high level of caliber fighter, and he's fought often. He has fought a whole lot in the in his time during the UFC. Facing this kind of guy it will only make only make you better if you actually learn from the experience. So if Kevin Lee is the guy, I think he is, which is smart, aware, and competitive, then this fight. least two times better than he was before he came into it because he had never faced a guy with this depth of skill this width of skill this level of conditioning and this sort of single minded focus towards being a champion kevin lee had fought a certain caliber fighter before he got ferguson ferguson is clearly far and away above that so if he takes his fight right and he applies what he learned to his training and to his preparation kevin lee is really gonna should blossom he should Excel from this point on and, mo- and moving forward, you should see leaps and bounds improvements as far as his technique, his strategy, and his mental, his mindset in approaching fights. You should. If take, if he's the guy I think he is, you should. If not, then this this might be one of the fights that kind of derails him as a fighter.
0: That's I'm, I'm interested interesting breakdown. In. I think it was, the crying after the fight that kind of caught me. If you listened, if you heard Daniel Cormier's kind of response. Was that, you know, he kept saying that this is okay. This is an important moment for him. Like, this is not something that should be frowned upon, the fact that he was showing so much emotion. And and it was very intriguing to me because, you know, definitely Cormier had his moment after he was knocked out by John Jones, what was the last month or so, or whenever that was. So it was was a very um, interesting moment. And I think that a lot of people aren't really talking and and discussing it right there, but it caught me off guard.
1: It's what people, I mean, being the way Kevin Lee has presented himself, you kind of like, I wouldn't expect this from him. But that's what you're supposed to do as an athlete and as a person. Nobody should just have you so figured out. There should be something of yourself that you're that in the toughest spots. You show something, something po- you, hopefully positive, that people haven't seen before. And that's what a lot of people don't like about athletes nowadays oh it's too cool oh yeah i lost but we'll get them next time or think about the the u.s men's soccer recently well no, it's just you know that. It, it's it's just a minor loss it's a blemish nobody wants to hear that you had a loss in a situation you should have won we want to hear someone be i'm upset i'm disappointed i'm disgusted you want to hear that you want to see some reaction to let you know that they you you don't feel bad about investing your time and money in these people Kevin Lee, I guarantee you, got him some fans, because instead of playing it cool, instead of being dismissive, he came out humble, and he came out honest, and he owned the hurt he was feeling, and he owned the fact that he got beat by a better man that evening. And as much as common as you would think that is among pro athletes and fighters, if you've ever been around pro athletes and fighters, you know that's not common. So when you see it, you appreciate it, because it's so far to the left of what everybody else is doing.
0: So... I want to talk about um, one other thing about him and that staph infection. I was kind of surprised that Joe Rogan even asked him about it on air like that. But for him to be allowed to fight with that staph infection, it, it kind of, like, it just, it didn't surprise me. But it made me stop and just shake my head. Like, come on, guys. There are so many different issues with that, with him stepping in, in, into the cage and a potential, uh, and the possibility of that spreading to what he was talking about with his trouble trying to make the weight cut due to having that that staff infection who's at fault here is it the UFC for allowing him to step into the cage and fight is it the commission for not stopping it there and, and saying hey you have staff let let's let's get this taken care of I mean I, A, I guarantee first and foremost we know that this isn't the first time that, that this happened this has happened time and time before but what is it going to take for people to kind of realize hey this is not this is not safe and something needs to happen
1: um uh, i assume someone's gonna have to have some kind of bad result like maybe if the if tony ferguson has this huge breakout of staff and ends up having to have some kind of surgery or gets severely ill as a result of it that might cause some kind of reaction but since there hasn't been any real any real obvious i mean since nobody's really gotten hurt nobody's come close to dying or died you know it t- usually takes a big event for people to get a reaction i mean that's the way it is in the world that's the way it's in sports until something becomes obvious and really blatant nobody really nobody really concerned we just get by on certain things we let certain things slide because you know it's worked out for us every single time i want to say it's part of the ufc's fault but they're here to make money and even though they you know they're supposed to look out for the uh, the fighters the fact of the matter is they've already said the fighters are independent contractors that's already been clearly stated multiple times so the ufc just wants to fight and they want to put on they want to put on the fight they want to make whatever money they're going to have they want to get their division going their concern for the fighter is secondary to their concern for making money and doing what's best for the division and doing what's best for their pocketbooks. The person it really falls on is the commission, for one, and, and Kevin Lee and his camp because, you know, that, that cost him the title fight because he didn't make weight. And, and basically, it, it basically sabotaged any attempts he had at winning the fight because he was never, I mean, it was going to be hard enough for him to keep a pace if he was in perfect health he has a hard time keeping the pace late. With something like a staph infection where you're trying to cut weight and you're trying to fight like that, that, that's gonna make it almost impossible. It's gonna make it almost impossible. And against a guy who forces the pace and fights with the cardio that Tony Ferguson does, you're almost guaranteeing you're gonna set yourself up to be beaten. So the biggest people I think it falls on is Lee and his team and the commission. You know, it's the commission's job to catch all these things and to really look out for the fighter's best interest. And it's Kevin Lee's team job to put him in the best position to not just win but to not get hurt if he loses it, and when you have that kind of issue as far as your cardio that could you could be compromised
0: yeah definitely you know, can affect your performance I'm, I'm curious to see um, you know what comes out of this and if if anything really kind of changes going down or going um, in in the future but I was just I was kind of t- not taking a bath but just kind of shook my head. Like you gotta be kidding me! It doesn't—it
1: so, doesn't hurt—it doesn't—it hurt, doesn't, it doesn't help the image because you know MMA—we're world-class athletes. We treat people like this, so you let people go on with clear staff infections to fight. Yeah, that's, that's that's awfully professional. You know, they keep saying they're better than boxing, and every single time they get a chance to to, to make that stand, it seems like they sabotage themselves and, and prove that they're not. Yeah,
0: definitely. Um. So let's talk about Tony Ferguson.
1: You know, we have a new interim
0: uh, lightweight champion. And we have a man who's, I don't want to say he's been a thorn in Conor McGregor's side. Not quite as much as Nate Diaz, but he's a guy who really can't be ignored anymore. Uh, UFC President Dana White is talking about making a fight between Ferguson and McGregor. That's really like the only, that's the best. He claimed that that fight has to happen. But clearly there's a Nate Diaz and the money fight, quote-unquote, for MMA kind of looming over, shadow looming over the idea of a Ferguson and McGregor fight. So personally, I want to see Ferguson and McGregor next. I think that's the right fight to make, especially if you look at what Tony Ferguson has done from a historical standpoint. I mean, 10 straight fights, and, and he's winning fights the way he's winning them. You can't deny this man a title shot, but from a financial standpoint, I would not be surprised if the UFC decided to go with setting up um, McGregor Diaz to kind of close out their 2017. If you were in charge, what fight would you make and why?
1: Uh, well, if I'm in charge of the UFC, as the way they're going right now. Like if I'm in their position and I'm doing their job, once again, my, my loyalty is the UFC. My loyalty is making money to make up for this huge we, we, in, we made into this sport. Um, I'm making the Diaz fight. I mean, I understand what they're saying about it's got to be the uh, it's the legitimacy of the sport and and all this stuff. I get that. I get it. it makes perfect sense. I'm all for it. But the fact of the matter is, the bet the the best fights as far as level of opposition and wins and all stuff that does not make the most money. You can only have so many pay per views where it's a hundred thousand buys. You can only have so many cards. Where you're only getting you know 10 or 15 or 10 or eight thousand people showing up in the in the building you can only have so many tv cars where the ratings are 15 to 25 percent lower than they were this time last year that only works so long before the paychecks of the people of the fighters as a whole start reflecting the ratings because if they're not making ratings and they're not making money and they're not selling out and they're not drawing attention there's going to be some adjustment in how many times people fight. There's going to be adjustment in bonuses. There are going to be adjustments in other opportunities. And even sponsorship for fighters who do have them is going to fall off even more because you're not you're not bringing in fans. You're not developing casual interest. When they have big cards with big fights, every fighter wins. Every fighter who's got their business straight is winning. Felice is on a big card. She wins because she has sponsorships that stayed with her. So when she's going to be on a big card, what happens to Felice Herrig? her sponsor's kicking a little bit more money. They push her a little bit harder because she's about to be on the biggest, one of the bigger cards of the year, one of the bigger TV cards of the year. And the bottom line is, if the money is not coming in, the lights don't stay on. If you want your buddy to get signed by the UFC, the UFC's got to be making enough money to make it worth their while to sign this guy. They don't make money off 100,000 pay-per-view buys. They don't make it off of 200,000 pay-per-view buys. It's almost like Conor McGregor, was had single-handedly maintained the UFC solvency as a result of his fights in the UFC and his fight with Floyd Mayweather, which the UFC got a cut of. So if I'm looking for long-term benefit, it's it's selling the most. We can always do integrity. You can be, you can, you can do, you can do integrity all the time. We we we, we get lots of integrity. But if it's not selling, what does that do for us? And who's asking for a Tony Ferguson fight? The hardcore fans. Hardcore fans are gonna fight. Are gonna watch anyways. They always do. The people we're trying to get are the casual fans who spend the extra money, who will fill up Vegas, who will buy the pay-per-view and, and buy it online or pay for it to stream. That's what you're trying to get. You're trying to make it an event. That's how you make the most money. And even though it would suck for Ferguson, nobody's asking for Ferguson. Nobody's talking about Ferguson. Ferguson isn't any sort of, sort of subject for discussion as far as as far as far casual fans go. That's Nobody cares about that. Nobody cares about it. And if nobody cares about it, then nobody's gonna buy it. And if nobody buys it, then nobody then, then nobody's gonna pay. And I know what people are gonna tell me. Ferg, uh, McGregor always sells, but that's the same thing. Floyd Mayweather always sells, right? But what did Floyd wanna do? He wanted to fight Conor. He wanted to fight Pacquiao. He wanted to fight Canelo. Why? Because they, they instead of selling sell 500,000, 750,000, or a million, he sells 2 million, 2.4 million, 2.6 million. It's, it's the amount of money you're gonna get. And and I guarantee you, McGregor wants to be—he's he's a true fighter. He wants to be an a guy, a man of integrity. He wants to be a fighter of integrity. But he also wants to get paid. He has talked often about the damages this this kind of career does to you, the time he wants to be in it. He can't. Aff- he, why is he going to take short money unless the UFC is going to pay him, and the money he's going to want, they'd have to have a matchup that sells for them to for him for them to pay him the way he wants.
0: So, if you're Tony Ferguson, um, I personally I don't think that there's anything less that I settle for other than this um, Conor McGregor fight. Because right now, you know that is the and I hate to use air quotes money fight terminology, but it is the fight that you know everyone wants. Um, And for from a UFC standpoint, I think that they kind of do want they want Ferguson to get some of that rub because if and when they do make this Conor McGregor fight, let's say they go with the Diaz bout first and that fight happens and um, then they decide to go with Tony Ferguson next, they want to begin putting the steps in place where people can look at Ferguson as a star now rather than trying to build him up at a, at a later date. From Ferguson's standpoint, he needs to be doing all he can to be that boogeyman that he's claiming he's going to be for Conor McGregor. I mean, he needs to be showing up at... Showing up at any Conor, Conor McGregor press um, press conference, he needs to be showing up at their gym, doing whatever he possibly can to um, get into that man's face. If they do go with the Nate Diaz fight, he needs to be at ringside and he needs to storm the storm the cage as soon as the fight's over because this really needs to. He needs to kind of he needs to push home the idea that hey, I'm the guy he should be fighting, and this is the only fight that fans should care about. Um, right now, I think that people are talking about Tony just because of UFC 216 and it being so close in everybody's mindset. But the UFC ha- does have a good promotional uh, backing behind him, and they can make people forget about Ferguson if they start selling this Nate Diaz fight. And I think he needs to do as much as he possibly can to remind everybody, hey, I am the man he should be fighting next, not Nate Diaz.
1: Yeah, and I understand that point. But with combat sports, a lot of how you sell and a lot of the money that's made, is a result of your fan base and how you resonate with fans. I mean, that's just a fact. When Chavez fought Canelo, and I know boxing is a little bit different, nobody, I mean, very few people thought Chavez had a chance of winning, but that fight did like, that fight did 1.1 million pay per views on a fight that nobody thought Chavez had any chance of winning. Mayweather versus McGregor, nobody really, really believed McGregor had a chance of winning, but that fight that's did not true, how? Though. A lot a lot people mean, people. Well, the lunatics, no sane people. But even sane people who thought Mayweather was going to smoke him paid for the fight. They paid for a fight that they already knew the conclusion to. You know, it, 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 it's just a lot of the sales, a lot of the pay-per-view, a lot of the draw is do you resonate with fans? And for some reason, Nate Diaz and his brother Nick resonate with fans better than Tony, Tony Ferguson does. Ferguson really doesn't have a huge fan base. He might have people who want to see him fight, because they feel like he's the next logical step for mcgregor but he doesn't have people who just i mean even when even when even when nate diaz was losing a bunch of fights he had fans who would want to see him fight a top guy who want to see who we're talking about nate should get a title shot nick diaz still has guys who say that he should get a title shot in his first fight back all because of his fan base not based on anything he's done in the cage recently tony ferguson doesn't have that the only reason he's even being talked about is because he's shown extreme excellence, but he's got nothing as far as a fan base or social media or crossover appeal that says that he should get that opportunity. And I'm not saying it's right, but it's just a fact that's been proven time and time and time and time again. It's like watching a Cowboys game, even when they're terrible. Do the Cowboys sell out? Do they have the highest ratings on TV? Yes. They don't have to win to sell. They don't have to get past the first r- round of the playoffs to get t- to lead in jersey sales and ratings and in and, and interviews and people talking about the Cowboys they don't have to win. Other teams have to win to get that attention. Kansas City might have to go all the way to Super Bowl to get one tenth of the co- attention that the Cowboys get when they're four and twelve. just all a right. matter of who relates to you, how do you resonate, and how do you have a connection? Has Tony, Tony earned it? Sure, he's earned it. But the fact of the matter is, even though Tony's earned it and he's talking about the integrity of the sport, let, let's not act like Tony, Tony doesn't want money, too. He wants money. He wants to get paid too. That's why he they had an issue with him about his paycheck and his salary and his, his contract with the UFC. He wants money too. It's not just integrity, it's money. He wants to get paid too. He wants a big payday. He wants a red panty night. And he, he thinks he's done enough to earn it, which is all well and good. But let's not just make this all about just being the best. It, yeah, it's, it's
0: definitely not about that. There, there's definitely, you know, people are here to make money and, and they're here to get paid. They're, that's, they're why, that's why they're called prize fighters.
1: Yeah, and they're saying to Connor, well, you've made enough money, come fight the best. Well, Connor could say, you've made enough money. Why are you you trying to come after me? Everybody wants to tell everybody else what to do with their careers and their money. But if you look at these interviews, at some point these people start complaining, well, I don't know why he's getting so much money. I fought the better competition. Well, if if it's all about the integrity, why are you complaining about the money? Because it's not about the integrity. I'm not trying to disrespect anybody, but if it's just about being the best, why do you keep on talking about the guy who makes the most money? Because you want to get paid too. You wanna have a Lamborghini, you wanna fly on the jet, you want your kids to be taken care of, and that's great. I respect that. But but let's 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 downplay some of the it's just about the integrity of the sport. It's a joke otherwise. You he won't give up his interim title because that's the only leverage he has. He wants to get paid too. Yeah, he wants to fight Connor and prove he's the best. Yeah, yeah yeah. But let let's let's just be honest. If Connor yes, if Con, if Connor wasn't as big if there was another draw as big as Connor, I think he might take that fight. But Connor's the big draw. Connor's the big money. Connor's the life-changing money. The guy who might put you in that superstar stratosphere. So of course he's gonna target him. I mean, yeah, I, don't know, I don't blame him for points. it. It's fine.
0: Definitely some good points there. Um, so let's uh, let's con- let's continue with the conversation about Ferguson. Last question about that there. If they do go with the Nate Diaz fight next, do you take Khabib Nurmagomedov off or do you sit on your laurels and, and wait for that Diaz and Conor McGregor fight to kind of um, f- finish up?
1: I just don't know the point of taking Khabib. I know everybody keeps telling me about Khabib's win streak, but who did he beat in this win streak? Like, the best win he's had is Michael Johnson. Rafael and...
0: Dussanians, probably.
1: Uh, yeah, okay. You know what? There you go. That That's probably the best. But that was a couple years ago. He ain't done anything, like, really stand out since, he's, except pull out fights. He's known more for getting injured and pulling out fights than he's known for beating anybody. Anybody of any note. So I mean, I don't, I don't know that he's not a, I mean, he's not a draw. I mean, to be honest, if Tony can't get the Conor McGregor fight, if you're talking about being a man of integrity and the integrity of the sport, then you fight Khabib just based on the fact that he's undefeated and he's the closest ranked guy for you to fight. But he doesn't want to fight Khabib because a, Khabib don't make any money, and b, Khabib hasn't been active in any time. But if you go by actual ranking and accomplishments and un- being undefeated, the only fight to make would be Khabib. Now the the second money fight for Ferguson, the fight that people would really pay money to see, would be Ferguson for if if Ga- justin Gaethje gets past Eddie Alvarez, Ferguson versus Gaethje, that will sell. That Man. will do a big number.
0: All they have to do is just replay the whole Michael Johnson fight. Like that's it. Like just like that right there alone would sell anything that Justin does next. I cannot wait for that Eddie Alvarez fight because I'm hoping. That, that kind of sets the stage for Justin, Justin to begin getting into the title conversation. Cause that's, what I'm, that's what I see happening. If he pulls out a win against Eddie, I see him. There's no way they're going to keep him out of, out of the title picture.
1: Yeah, uh, but think about this. Imagine if they would have had the headline for the interim title, Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gagey. I mean, tell me that fight I, doesn't I, sell. I would pay for
0: it. I've, I can't remember last time. Well, I, the last time I paid for a fight was October of last year when I was um, on vacation in Orlando. And before that, I can't remember last time I, I paid for a fight. I would pay to watch that fight.
1: If I was actually going if to, if it could possibly be done, I know it probably can't be. But if I could possibly swing it if I was a UFC, I'd have it where headliner Diaz versus McGregor for the legitimate title. Ferguson versus Gaethje for the intro. After that, after that, whoever wins out of both faces each other in the next one. That'd be a perfect buildup to the fight. Even, no matter which direction it goes, it's a perfect buildup, and you can't tell me having those two fights leading that car that doesn't do a huge, huge number.
0: Yeah, it it it, it would it would be massive.
1: I can't imagine anybody who wouldn't buy any MMA casual fan or whatever who wouldn't who would I mean who wouldn't buy that car? You got the best, you have got the most popular fighter, you got one of the best fighters, and you got one of the most violent fighters, co-maining and main-eventing. That fight, that it's guaranteed violence. It's guaranteed something spectacular. How do you how do you turn that fight down? That'd be the best case scenario. But as far as Ferguson, if he really wants to make money and get attention to where he could force McGregor fight Justin Gaethje, beat him. Any win over Gaethje is going to be punishing. It's going to be exciting. It's going to draw fan interest. And he might be able to really drum up some legitimate support of getting to fight McGregor next.
0: Yeah, definitely true there. So let's continue moving on to some of the other news pieces from this week. And one I wanted to talk about, just actually a couple of um, fight announcements we didn't get the chance to talk about. One was Carlos Condit versus Neil Magny. What are your thoughts? Did, did, Did we talk about this fight? No, we did not. I didn't think so. So, what are your what are your uh, thoughts about this being kind of returned return bout?
1: Uh, it's not a bad fight. It's a it's a it's a fight against a guy who's who's ranked, a guy who's a good fighter, a guy who's a skilled fighter, but a guy who's proven that he's clearly not at a certain level. He he's at a, he uh, Magny's beats a certain kind of fighter and he loses to a certain kind of fighter. So if he fought, Carlos Conant, has, it's a safe fight for Carlos Conant. It's a winnable fight. It's a fight people expect him to win. And, you know, that would be a good start to get him back on track and actively competing. As far as um, if he loses to Magny, that's kind of, that That pretty much says that he, he shouldn't really be fighting anymore, or maybe not at this level, because Magny's never been able to beat anybody who's been remotely elite. He's always lost to that caliber of guy. So it's a safe fight. It's a fight. Fight. college Carlos um, has a certain fan base he always makes fights exciting but he's fighting a guy who's vulnerable enough that he has an opportunity to win the fight and win it and win it in spectacular fashion
0: do you think this is the right fight for him to be taken back instead of coming back and getting right back in there with someone who's like a heavy hitter or like a um I'm trying to get someone at the welterweight division I, I can't remember i can't think of the brazilian guy's name who kind of just jumping off the page for me right now but instead uh, of him Ponzani- Ponzani- yes yes Ponzani- jumping into a fight like that. You think this is the right type of fight for him to be taken at this point in time?
1: Uh, yeah, honestly, I do. I really I really believe when you've been out for an extended period of time, especially when you've been out and you've kind of been iffy about fighting, you kind of look like you may have lost a step or you might not be as effective as you used to be. I really think there's nothing wrong with fighting a lower tier guy to kind of get your feet back underneath you, get yourself back together. You fight uh, You fight a uh, a certain caliber guy especially a guy who's a punishing fighter you can find yourself instead of starting to come back your career could get ended in that night because no matter how much he's been training and staying active the fact of the matter is he he lost he, he didn't look spectacular in his last fight so we don't really know where his head's at we don't know how hard he wants to fight we don't know how serious he is about fighting this is a good test because magni magni can beat him magni can beat him if he doesn't come correct but magni's not the type of guy who's gonna really finish you or really punish you or ruin you if you lose to him a guy like Ponzinibbio coming back against a guy like Wonder Boy or something—that's the kind of fight that can really damage you if you're not 100%. This fight allows us to find out where Carlos Con is at. Allows us him to get to test his skills, test his timing, test his will to fight. And if he wins okay we know it's still there let's move him back up to the next level i've never been a fan of these guys jumping from one world-class guy you lose a fight to another world-class guy you lose a fight to another world-class guy you lose a fight that's why anthony pettis found himself on the four fight losing streak because he wouldn't take a step back and fight down a caliber and kind of work his way back up you don't just go out from being world-class take a two-year break or a year break and then just jump back in thinking you're gonna be world-class i've never been a fan of that whether it's a whether it's a championship fighter or a contender or a ring. I've never been a fan of you taking months and years off and then jumping right back in with the best of the best. It's just never been something I've been fond of, except in the rarest of occasions. I've always thought guys should have at least one or two fights to kind of get their legs back underneath them, get used to the, the timing, and make adjustments so that they can be prepared for the best. And and I've, I've always stood by that.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Uh, I'm... I'm... Interested in seeing what he looks like coming back, but um, I don't. I don't think my expectations are too high. For I think Conda Con is definitely a, an intriguing character. I've always loved his fights. So I'm just curious to see what he looks like when he does decide to return to the cage. Um, another fight I wanted to talk about, we didn't get a chance to, to uh, converse about, is um, what's his name? Uh, excuse me, Max Holloway and Frankie Edgar for the. Uh, featherweight title which is set to go down later on this year. What are your initial thoughts on
1: that bout? Um, I, I really think Edgar's I, I really think Edgar's not going to win this. I, I think the pace that Holloway works at I think is range. And the fact that Holloway has shown himself to be able to grapple, to wrestle a bit, to box and kickbox, I just think he's too dangerous at every single range for um to win. I, I, I just don't know how Edgar wins. I don't think he knocks him out. I can't imagine him outworking him. At this, at this age, Edgar still fights at a high pace, but I don't think he fights at as high a pace as he used to. And I honestly think that Edgar's taking a lot, a lot of shots, and he doesn't take continuous punishment the same way that he did before. I, I, I think it will be competitive because Edgar's a veteran, Edgar's tough, Edgar can wrestle, and he's a much better wrestler than, than Holloway, but I, I, don't, I don't have any path to victory for Edgar. I expect Holloway to be in a tough fight, but I expect him to win and, and win decisively.
0: Yeah, um, I'm really interested in, in this fight, you know, because we often, I don't want to say count Edgar out, but I feel like that's been the story of his career. You know, people counting him out at high points. Um, I mean, and he, even to some regard, the UFC kind of counted him out by putting him in there with Yair and trying to figure out a way to, for lack of a better term, get him out of the title picture.
1: Well, and that I mean, him, him Yair wasn't going to do it. Yair wasn't good enough. I mean, we both said there was no way Yair was winning that fight.
0: What I, what I think is interesting about the Holloway fight, though, is that Holloway is a very smart fighter as well. And what you see often, even Jeremy Stevens did this when he had Edgar Hurt. I feel like guys try to pounce in too quickly to finish the fight, and they end up allowing him to get a hold of them and get a, just enough of a win to get his wits back about him and, and go about finishing the fight um Holloway i think is a is a more uh intelligent fighter than that and if he hurts edgar i think you're going to see him kind of Control the pace the way he did against Cub Swanson because he had Swanson hurt a lot of times in their featherweight fight before finishing him later on in the bout there. So I definitely think this this is an intriguing matchup. I'm never one to ever want to count out Edgar, but um, I'm really really interested in seeing how this uh, how this goes. He's 36 years old. I think he just turned 36 a couple months back. So MMA has consistently been a young guy's game, but Frankie continues to. Uh, blow that mantra up every time, but you know this is a this is a big important fight for both guys.
1: One of the one of the big differences you notice when it comes to uh, Edgar when they when the guys fight is guys can't keep a pace. Even if they hurt him, they'll they'll sell out trying to finish him, and they can't maintain it. You understand what I'm saying? Like they they get him in a position, they trying to go balls to the wall and trying to land that knockout blow. They start loading up. Holloway's too smart for that. He's not going to load up. Holloway sets a very high pace. He sets a very high pace he maintains a very high pace he's not gonna slow he's not gonna he's not gonna let up he gets Edgar in a position he's not gonna he's not gonna throw 20 punches and then be gassed that's not gonna happen he's not gonna be like great mannered and totally gassed and unlike a lot of guys like Jeremy Stevens or even Cub Swanson and some of the other guys that Fred Eggers beat these guys were fairly one-dimensional um, Charles Olivera was a fairly one-dimensional fighter as far as his overall skills he was an offensive guy who's mostly a grappler, and defensively on the feet he was flawed. Offensively on the feet, he was flawed. Jeremy Stephens, once again, Edgar's a guy who can move, Edgar's a guy who can find angles, Edgar's a guy who can strike and wrestle, he can switch it up. So that's a guy with multiple dimensions. Jeremy Stephens is not good against guys who have multiple dimensions. So that was a fight that was made for Edgar. The fight that Edgar's had at Featherweight, where he's had to fight a guy with multiple dimensions, who can switch up his pace and do different things when he fights with the closest thing to it would be would be fighting Aldo and he's never had any sex with Aldo because Aldo can grapple, Aldo can counterattack, Aldo can lead. In spots Aldo can use volume and other spots he can sit back and pick you apart. Max Holloway is capable of doing every single one of those things. More importantly Max Holloway is a smart enough guy to make adjustments in fights. Mid, in between rounds and during a round he can make an adjustment. So that's, that's why I'm going with Holloway because he has so many different weapons, so many different tools, and he's not married to using any one of them to win the fight. He'll do whatever it takes to win the fight. It means submitting him, it means submitting him. It means standing up and boxing, boxing. It means throwing pressure, throwing pressure. It means grappling, it means grappling. He'll do whatever he, he thinks is necessary for him to win the fight, and he'll use whatever tool necessary for him to win the fight, and he's got the skill to do it. And that's gonna be the difference. Most of the guys Edgar's been beating up recently have not had the depth of skill and haven't had the cardio to force the pace with them. Holloway has both. So my question is, what is Edgar going to do when he's facing a guy who has both of those skill sets, both of those tools? Mm
0: hmm I'm not going to disagree with you there. Um... Yeah, I think it's gonna be a hell of a fight. I am looking forward to that uh that event. And as always, I'm always looking forward to the UFC's end of year show. Have you seen the whole card for UFC two, excuse me, two
1: nineteen? Um, two nineteen. I don't think so. Alright, so I'm gonna pull that
0: card up. Before I pull that card up, what were your what was your first reaction of Robbie Lawler, Rafael Dos Anjos?
1: Uh I mean it's a good fight. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a good fight and um it's an action fight, it's a fight for the fans. It'll be a good one. I mean it's a really good matchup. I kind of think it it gets rid of a contender it, and just it puts it, it the I feel, is I feels a lot closer to a title fight than Lawler is at this point and I feel like it it possibly eliminates a contender for him. And if he beats Lawler, I'm not sure that it ends It actually stamps his ticket to fighting Woodley anyways because um Lawler's Lawler's only win is over Cerrone, and his last loss to uh, Woodley was a one-punch knockout. So it's like, I'm kind of mixed emotions. I know it'll be a good fight. I know it'll be an action fight. But I have some mixed emotions about the risk, the position it puts Dostanius in if, in fact, he loses. Or even if he wins. I I don't know that it guarantees anything. But I know a loss puts him in the back of the line. And a win, I don't know that it guarantees him a, a title fight either. But um, the uh, it, it's an interesting matchup because Lawler, Dos has had a habit of exchanging on the feet. He likes to throw a lot of volume. He likes to put on pressure. He likes to physically dominate guys, and it's rare that you've ever seen Robbie Lawler, even by superior grapplers, be just physically dominated or pushed around. So it's interesting in that regard. the The biggest question I have, the biggest thing, the biggest help that'll make for Dos argument of fighting Woodley, will be the fact that. He's going to be facing a guy, in Robbie Lawler, who's also one of the biggest hitters in welterweight. And at this point, DeSanyles hasn't faced a guy who anybody's considered to be a durable guy who can take a lot of punishment or a guy who can deliver a lot of punishment. So if he fights Lawler, we're going to find out if his chin and his recovery came to him, came with him from 55, or in fact, he's a guy who's only effective when he's facing guys who aren't finishers or guys who aren't. Who, who who lacked the physicality and athleticism to really exchange with them or really push back when he starts trying to bully them with his own pressure and physicality. That's the biggest, that's the biggest question it's going to answer. So in that regards, in that line of logic, it makes sense that he beats Lawler, he gets Woodley. But once again, considering Lawler had a tight decision win over over um, Cerrone, and his last fight before that was fighting Woodley in which he got smoked with one shot, I don't know that him beating Lawler guarantees him anything, but as I stated before, if he loses to Lawler, I guarantee you he takes two to three fights backwards before he's even talked about in the title contention again.
0: So this is very really, this this is interesting to me. I think that this is the right direction to go with Rafael dos Sánchez at this point in time because you know we talked about him after his win in his last fight the way he would be an intriguing fight for Tyron Woodley. I wish that they could make that that make that fight um now but with tyron being out and you know dosanios kind of needing one more win before being um before having claim to that uh that top spot i agree with this fight being made did you see uh dosanios and woodley going back and forth in uh on twitter today
1: yeah i i saw that um i think that
0: i mean they need to stop with all these damn interim titles first and foremost um and i think that Dos Anjos is reaching, trying to claim that this should be it for an, an, an interim title. I think he's totally off base is with he that. I mean, down? I think. So. I mean, look, like Tyron, like Tyron said, he's fought four times in 12, um, 12 months. No other champion has done that. And if he's going to be injured up until what March or something like that, the UFC can wait. I mean, hell, when's the last time? Well, actually, I, just, I was I was going to say when's the last time Conor McGregor defended the title, but he has it. So I mean. I, I, I think that they're okay with putting this fight together and giving Willie a few months to um, get get himself healed up.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, to me, I, I'm not a fan of the interim titles, but all, all the interim titles do is help multiple fighters. Because now you have another guy who's got a title shot, which means that guy's going to make more money. And that guy has some leverage and that guy can get more of a push from the UFC because he's got a belt. It helps the fighters. Has that been up. confirmed
0: now? Do we know that Interim has like has that been confirmed? Do we know that Interim champions get the same type of pay as the lineal champions?
1: I don't well, I don't know I don't know about that as far as that. I mean like as far as like there's a push behind another fighter now. Now you're getting some kind of push because if the, if the main champion isn't fighting or can't fight it, you can fight again. That just gives you more attention. That gives you more of a chance to state your claim, build more of your fan base, and get more attention because the fight has more value. Because people can say interim titles don't matter, but if they don't matter, why do guys always accept them when they have a chance to get them? You never see a guy say, oh, you know, Ferguson could have said, I don't want interim title. I'm going to wait for McGregor. He didn't say that. Carlos Condit fought for an inner title, so he could have the chance to fight George St. Pierre. So everybody keeps telling me they're stupid, they're ridiculous, nobody wants to fight him, nobody cares about him, but every time somebody has an opportunity to fight for one, they take that opportunity.
0: I'm not going to um disagree with you there. Uh, yeah, there's nothing
1: I mean, else. It guarantees you the title shot against a legitimate champion, no matter what.
0: Yeah. That's definitely nobody, can, nobody
1: can take that spot from there. you.
0: Definitely some good points there. So... What, so I, I missed some of your like um, early ta- thoughts about the the fight itself. What are your thoughts about the fight there? Do you think that this is a bout that Dosanya should take? Or is Lawler kind of, I don't want to say over the hill, but has he taken a lot of damage since his time um, as champion?
1: Um, I, I don't think Dosanya necessarily has a chance, to, uh, has, has any sort of choice, to be honest. He's not a big draw. He's had two wins at the at the division, but who did he beat? He beat Safadine, which is, it once again to the hardcores is a good win, but is it a real kind of win that hi, that highlights him as a champion? Uh, no, I mean the main reason he w- he would probably get a title fight at this stage is because everybody else was off the ma- off the market, already matched up, and if Woodley could come back, then he could he could defend the title immediately. But since Woodley's going to be sitting out for a while, I mean, there's no way you you have you, you have Desanya's get a title demand a title shot off of beating Neil Magny and Tariq Stephanie that that's not going to cut it that's not going to cut it by any mean any stretch of the imagination so if that was a choice I'd, I mean if you go by accomplishments Damian Myers might as well just get another title shot because his accomplishments from the, in the his accomplishment from from a year ago is more impressive than a win over Neil Magny and um and Tariq Stephanie so he pretty much has to take this fight like I said I don't know that it guarantees of anything but I don't really know that he has any choice but to take this fight uh-huh. Lawler on the other hand might might have something to risk. is I'm kind of surprised Lawler took it it's I mean I know Lawler wants to fight and he wants to stay busy and this isn't jumping right back into the battle fight so I guess it fits his demands but it's, a, it's kind of a risky fight for Lawler if he loses this fight if he gets stopped in this fight you know definitely gets knocked out I, I don't know that you can mention him as as any any type of type of top ten fighter or, or or close to the title for the next you know year or two two or three fights minimum depending on how the fight goes so it's kind of a risk for it's kind of a risk for lawler it's it's a big risk for both guys, but lawler's very close to the end of his career i feel so it's a real big he loses this fight and he might be another year or two away from a title fight, and I don't know that he has another year or two of activity to work his way back into a title fight. I don't know if he has that desire. I don't know if he he has that – his body has that kind of a – has that many miles left on it where he can go through all that to get – work himself back into a title fight, especially at the middle – the was division where all these contenders are just sprouting up left and right, all good wrestlers, all very athletic, all heavy hitters.
0: Yeah, good stuff there, man, good stuff there. So there's another interesting story I want to talk about from this week, and that is one of Mark Hunt. Have you um, followed the story surrounding Mark Hunt and UFC Fight Night 21 where he has been pulled off of the card for medical reasons? Have you seen the story?
1: Yeah, I I heard that. I heard that story.
0: So what makes this so interesting is that, you know, he did that. How can I? So he, I can't remember the name of the organization that he did the article with, but he did a kind of like a, I don't really call it an op-ed, but the piece was written from his point of view, talking about where he is as a fighter. It was really good about, like, kind of of an introspective piece about him in fighting and his position in the sport, but he talked extensively about his, the health of his brain, and in listening to what he was saying, especially when, you know, he's talking about not being able to remember yesterday but being able to remember years ago like some of the instances that he talked about are dead giveaways of um brain injury not brain injury but brain like you know issues um and what we see here is that the ufc reacted and pulled him off of the card so is this a situation where they're protecting themselves in protecting the fighter, or do you think that this is a situation where he still should have been allowed to compete?
1: I don't know. The thing about it is, I know a lot of people are saying it's because of the uh, the court case he has against them and the lawsuit and all that, and I get that, and I I think there's some legitimacy legitimacy to that. But I put it in the instance he's talking, and I don't know if the interviewer took his words out of context. Context or they just outright lied about what he said, but it's going to be very hard for you to go into an interview and talk about how you're slurring your words and you're willing to die and you're saying these sort of things and then think you're going to be put or, or keep your spot on the card. I mean, if you if Cam Newton said he was seeing devil and he has headaches every night when he wakes, he when he, when he wakes up and he has headaches before he goes to sleep and he can't focus and he, and he can't move sometimes because his brain hurts so much. I mean, he might be starting at the beginning of the week, but you think they're really going to let him start and play? I mean, nope. I mean, and and I understand people say they've let other guys slide before. But think about this. Nobody knew about those guys and the issues they were having, except their team and maybe the UFC. But Mark Hunt made it very public. and, And yeah, you think, well, maybe it wasn't big. Nobody else knows about it. The casuals don't know about it. But let's say Mark Hunt goes up there and gets knocked out. And went around and, and he doesn't come to right away or he starts talking about how he's experiencing health issues moving forward uh soon after that fight somebody will find that interview somebody always finds the interview and they're gonna say he said this stuff in public and you still put him in a fight like what's wrong with you people Mhm. So, even that if that is, the UFCs doing key. it for selfish reasons they have a way out they, they have an instant way out and he gave them a the way out he could just interviewed. you know what I'm perfectly healthy. I've never felt better. My head's so clear. I've got a clearer mind than I did when I was 24. He could have said that, but he decided to say something else, and I don't see how he thought this saying this was going to help anything. Even if even if it was the truth, how did he think this was going to help anything? What do you I mean, think about that? What do you think that, what, what do you think, what, what's that going to help?
0: I mean, when I looked at, when I read, it, I read some of the, um, some of the piece earlier this week, and I'm just like, I liked it, the way he was so candid about it, but at the same time, I was saying to myself, I'm like, why, does, why is he still fighting? Um, and from the UFC standpoint, it's like, they sh- and I wasn't thinking they should pull him from the card, but I'm like, somebody had to have looked at this and said, we need to be careful about the situation. I mean, hell, look at, um, you know, in the professional wrestling space, they're taking CTE much more seriously now, and guys like um, Brian Daniel, uh, or Daniel, whatever his name, Daniel Bryan, whatever his name, real name is, I can't even think of it now, even though he's been cleared by multiple doctors, you know, the, the WWE will not allow him to, to uh, actually wrestle it anymore at all, and I think it's interesting seeing the UFC respond in, in this manner, because I think that they're going to start taking it much more seriously, and um, this, is, this is definitely pretty... Intriguing to watch them pull him off of this card and and do it and be blatant about it. This is because of health issues.
1: Well, I mean, they they have to take it seriously. I mean, because it's like it's kind of like the NFL players who sit there and let's say they play. And I'm not saying they deserve anything they get, but it's like you know they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna complain. I don't want the coach taking me out of the fight. I don't want the coach taking me out of the game. Let me play. Let me play. And then 10 years from now, when you can't remember your name, now you're upset at that same coach who put you in. Well, he should have known better. Which one is it? Do you want to be in the game or do you want me to protect you? You can't have it both ways. Mm-hmm. And Mark Hunt can't say I'm slurring and this and that, and I'm having these problems, and then say, what are you doing taking me out of fight? I mean, no offense, but somebody can use that, that interview against them legally. You know, if Mark Hunt starts having brain problems later on, is he going to say, is he gonna say something? He's gonna say, no, I faced these guys who were on PDs, they might've damaged my brain, I've been having this and that, this kind of problem and that kind of problem come up, but they kept putting me in the cards and I needed the money, so I took it. So he's gonna become the sympathetic figure. There, there's no way they can win this. And I'm not saying they're doing it because they, they care so much about him, they really might not care about him. But the fact of the matter, he made it really easy for them to make that decision. He could have made it very difficult and instead he made it really easy for having that interview. I don't know if he thought they wouldn't get out, I don't know if he thought that he was making some kind of point. But either way, he put himself in a really difficult situation, and he put the UFC in a very difficult situation when he, when, when he made that interview. And there's nothing anybody's going to tell me that's going to say anything different. Because in any other circumstance, if somebody was saying they had a health issue, or they couldn't function, or they couldn't get around, and then they were, they were, they were scheduled to compete, and they competed and got hurt worse, whoever let them compete would be held accountable for that. And anybody with any sort of sense with that being public knowledge would never let somebody compete it would just be too much of a legal issue
0: so is this a, like have we seen the end of frank mir Mu- and the frank mirror goodness mark hunt competing in the ufc
1: i don't know how the thing that'd be funny for me is like how are you gonna take him off of one card and then all of a sudden put him on another if you're if you're really concerned about his well-being or if you really if the argument's going to be he's a threat to himself and he needs to be taken care of you can't put him on any card moving forward until he kind of until he even if he passes some kind of test because of the stuff he said you can't say that stuff out loud and think that people aren't going to react some kind of way no matter what test you pass no matter how much you say i feel better later on when you're talking about those kind of I, I don't see how he fights in the UFC again i mean i guess anything's possible but it it to me it would seem really hard for them to put him back in the cage again Given his age, given how hittable he is, and given some of the heavyweights he'd be facing, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. It might be it be it might be hard for me to justify them putting him back in again.
0: Yeah, I'm interested in seeing if this is the last time. If he steps in there too, as well, because um he has taken. I mean, he's 40 years old. He's a legend. He's taken some damage, but I mean, I, I could if if he was to walk away from the UFC, I could see Glory picking him up. I can see Bellator picking them up. Like, there's so many oh, different really options. Well. Out there, for
1: them. They're, they're, they're snatching him up foot. in a
0: heartbeat. Yeah, and that, I don't foot. even want to talk about that. But they'll snatch him up in our in a heartbeat. So, let's see if there's anything else I want to talk about that went down this week. It's been pretty much a quiet week. Oh, this is this is what I wanted to cover too. I don't want to talk about that Michelle Waters and stuff. I'm not even talking about that. Um, the UFC on Fox deal is set to expire next year. I think this is going to be an interesting time because I think that the UFC is going to be forced to. I don't think the next deal would be as big as the first one was. First and foremost, and I think the UFC is going to be forced to kind of rein in some of their paper or some of their shows. You know how they're having so many, so many shows throughout the year, and I think we're going to see hopefully fewer shows but more quality shows, uh, more quality matchups. I think they will be forced to kinda develop their own content like they're doing with the Dana White um, contender series on UFC Fight Pass as a platform because they will still need to have those fights and have those revenue generating fights on whatever level they can and to try to make Fight Pass a more um, presentable platform but I think this is gonna be a very interesting next few months as they try to make a a new deal before this one I- expires
1: um. I don't know, I've always had a problem with the pay-per-view model because I don't think there's enough fighters worthy of it. I think it just costs more money and actually hurts their bottom line. And I, I think we've had this discussion like a year ago, they shouldn't be having certain guys on pay-per-views, they just don't sell. They don't sell and they want a certain kind of pay-per-view, they want a certain kind of pay rate to be on a big card or be on a pay-per-view card, they want certain opportunities and the investment you put into putting them on the card does not come back to you as far as rating or pay-per-view lives or attendance. So I really think they're gonna to have to change something out and then start putting their fights on multiple platforms. And I'm talking about like more live fights and just different, different, different kind of platforms at different times so that they can maximize the money they have. Because at this rate, the pay-per-view model is gonna kill them. They really, in my opinion, they, should, they shouldn't have more than five, really five, maybe six pay-per-views at most. And um really with, really with the very the very be, the the very best fight with the biggest stars because they're having what sometimes two, three, four a year, two, three, four a month, and and these they're not doing bang up numbers.
0: I think the most that they've done a month is two. Um like they usually they now they have had some events where they've had four or five events a year, or excuse me, a month. But um I, I think that two events a month, um, like one, like let's say if they did one pay-per-view, one Fox card, and if if they had uh, other live events on Fight Pass, that would be something different. I'm thinking more along the lines of what the WWE does, to be honest. They have, they've even now gone to the point where they have two pay-per-views per per month, but I think the one pay-per-view per per month, one um, like Fox Sports, like a Fox level card, especially during football season, and then um, one uh, w- one or two fight pass type of, of showcases, I think that th- that is the right type of mix for uh, the UFC at this point in time. I don't have any data to support that, but just from what I've seen from other um, other type of, of platforms, I think that that's the right type of uh, activity they should have at this point in time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess I agree with that too. I just figure if they have a six, maybe six cards, they can really stack them up and they really get their money, their money and it, it gives people time enough to miss it, to miss the pay-per-views. Like, you know, cause be, before there weren't a lot of pay-per-views, so you could always sell the, make the argument that it's going to be this big event, it's this pay-per-view, it's a once in a lifetime matchup. but in between all these fights in general, and then you factor in all these pay-per-views, how many times are we going to hear potential fight of the year, great match-up between this, 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 how many times are we going to hear that before it starts to lose some of its, its weight? You know, that's part of the reason people don't buy them every time, because we hear so much, every fight's going to be a fight to the finish. Every fight's going to be this great matchup. Every fight's going to be the fight of the year. It just gets really hard to get up for that many events. And then, we're not even just talking about events, we're talking about paveries. It's just very, very hard to get up for that many of them on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you, you've got to space them out, and you've got to max out, you've got to max out each card you have, and it's hard to, lo- and then you factor in the injuries, now, if you have less guys, you have less pay-per-view cards, there's gonna be less big injuries, which means most people will get the big fights they wanna get instead of, you know, this matchup was gonna be between two top five guys and now it's between a top five guy and a top 14 guy. So I, I really think they gotta decrease the workload and really assign some value, assign some value about the uh, to the fighters in the general, if you understand what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, I can definitely understand what you're saying there. Um, so. That's really what I, all I wanted to cover this week. You know, it's, it's a very slow week. There isn't any, aren't any live events this weekend, but I'm sure someone can find some MMA somewhere to watch or at least some competitive grappling to watch as well. So what are you working on? Is there anything that you have um, in your mind that you want to talk about before we close out the show for this week?
1: Um, I wanted to, I mean, first of all, I, I, I actually reintroduced an article I did talking about how to make a combat sports star because every time Demetrius Johnson fights, the discussion comes up about why he isn't a bigger star, what has to happen for him to be a bigger star, and I still stand by my belief that being a star is not a matter of being the best, it's how you resonate with fans and your connection. Not everybody can be a big superstar, and the sooner people recognize that, they can stop trying to leverage themselves into being a Conor McGregor type star and just work on maximizing the opportunities they do have and being the biggest star they can be. Not everybody's meant to be a Floyd Mayweather, Oscar De La Hoya, Michael Jordan, Peyton Manning. That's just not feasible. And the sooner people start realizing it, the better off they're going to be as far as their career. Um, that's, that's, the, that's the most recent article I've done. Um, the, the one thing I wanted to talk about before we uh, ended the show was to um, actually talk about our good friend Lando Venata. Um, I know a lot of people are very high on him, but... I really feel like this last fight, actually his last two fights, have kind of highlighted why, in my opinion, they should have moved him a little bit differently and moved him a little bit slowly instead of, instead of kind of fast-tracking him because of the fight he gave Tony Ferguson. They should have taken the time to work him as a prospect and slowly get him acclimated to the UFC, that, that level of competition, that level of athleticism, and let him develop his skills, his awareness, and his all-round skills. Because right now, he's a dynamic offensive fighter. He's a highlight reel fighter, he's an exciting fighter, but what thing you can't call him is a fighter who's defensively sound, defensively responsible, or even a guy who's very efficient. He's put in some very exciting fights, some very high, with a lot of highlight reel punches, knees, and kicks, but in every fight he's been in, he's taken a huge amount of punishment, and there's only so long you can take that kind of punishment before you start, before you start losing a step physically, before your punch resistance starts to go, before people start stop buying into you as a guy who has potential stardom in front of them, and that's what happens when you move a prospect too fast because of one performance they had on a short notice fight. And I, I just wanted to highlight how quickly people' opinion on somebody changes. When you first saw Ferguson, we have potential title, title contender. Three fights later, people don't even know if he's going to be able to stay in the top fifteen at, at the rate of punishment he takes and the way he's fighting. So it's very important when you're an organization, and when you're a coach and a team member, whether it's management or another, or owner of a gym, that you properly match your fighter so that you can maximize their career, because that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to extend it, and you're trying to get them the best fights with the best money for the longest period of time. Throwing a guy in at a level he's not comfortable with routinely is not the best way to go about that, and I think that some serious adjustments need to be made. In, how he trains and how he's approaching fights or how he executes the fights, so that he can extend his career and possibly become the star that people think he's going to be. Because the rate he's going it right now, taking this kind of punishment, uh, he's got maybe, in my opinion, he's got maybe a year. If he has another couple of fights like that, it's even less. You can't take these kind of fights, this kind of punishment with this kind of level of contact and think you're going to be the same guy a year from now.
0: Yeah, I definitely think he's taken a lot of damage over the years, and it'll be interesting to see where he is in the next two years or so.
1: Yep, definitely indeed. I mean, and uh, I like his coach, Brandon Gibson, but I remember him saying he's a guy who likes to see have technical fights and guys not get beat up a lot. Guys use their defense and all round skills. And Landon Venato is essentially the guy he built. He's a guy who, who refined him, who kind of made him into the fighter he is. So that's the best example of his coaching, in theory, since he brought him up. And Venada has shown none of that discipline, none of that efficiency, and none of that defensive responsibility. And it's great for us, but for his long-term health and for his career, I don't know that it's great. I mean, he's become a great TV fighter, but months ago we were talking about him as a potential contender. It ain't nobody say, nobody's saying that now. I haven't heard potential contender and of Venata in the same sentence in months, and I don't think I'm going to given an exciting but once again unfulfilling draw with um, Bobby Green. I don't think anybody can even talk about him being top 15 right now.
0: Yeah, I definitely think he does take way too much damage. I will be interested in seeing the rematch with him and Bobby Green, but that's just... I'm not even going to front. That's just for shits and giggles right now. I don't think that that fight has a lot of value in the... even even, in the talk of top 10 uh, placements, but he does—he definitely does take a lot of damage from um, throughout his uh, career, and it'll be interesting, interesting to see where he is in the uh, near near future
1: yep and I agree hundred percent like I said just wanted to I don't think that gets highlighted enough everybody's so big on the next big thing and what direction they're in nobody ever talks about the damage that could be done by trying to make somebody into the next big thing when they're not ready
0: so um, what else are you working on uh, this week what are the pieces that you got in the queue
1: um, I've got a I'm, I'm working on I'm actually working on a ton of ton of things. But it's all, like I said, I got the Dust for a uh, Poirier-Pettis uh, fight coming up, the Machida-Brunson fight. I've got some breakdowns for that. I'm actually uh, doing a piece for Combat Press that's going to be like a, something like around a four-part series, where I'm actually talking about uh, Cynthia Calvillo. You know how she's fighting Carla Esparza. So mm-hmm. I'm taking a look at Cynthia Car- Calvillo, but I'm taking a look at her through the lens of her prior opponent. So I take her opponent, I break him down as far as their prior fights, review their prior fights, review their skill set, their physical tools, and then I talk about the fight they had with Calvillo and what it told me about Calvillo's athleticism, her natural tendencies, her strategy, and her technique. So you know how they always say you don't know somebody until you've seen a, really seen a fight or you fought them? So now I'm gonna give you a perspective on Calvillo based, on, based not on my direct assessment of her, but based on my assessment of her in comparison to the girl she's beaten. So you can kind of get, determine for yourself: is, is it is it is she really that good? Is it a matter of matchmaking? Why were these fights made? Why does she win them? Why does she lose them? Because those are always the questions you have to ask when a person is building their way up to becoming a title contender. And they either clear it, or they end up getting exposed by the champion. Or when they when they when they face their first true test. So I'm kind of going, I'm kind of taking a look at the fighter from a different angle than I usually do. And I'm hoping that uh, I'm hoping the fans like it. It's, surprisingly a lot of work <laughs> to do it this way I mean,
0: all we do is a lot of work i'm definitely interested in seeing how she looks in this fight against the coming up um because i think it, it's going to be important for her to come out well and you know look look strong and i, I think that this is an opportunity for her to kind of sneak her way into the strawweight um title talk
1: yeah yeah it's definitely I, i'm hoping that this fight can, th- these articles i do can kind of maybe drum up a little bit of interest and then also provide a certain context to show how even though and I'm, I'm one of these people who thinks that she has a huge advantage over Esparza but I also believe there's ways for Esparza to beat her and I hope by breaking down these fights and looking at the good and the bad she did in these fights it can kind of change the narrative on, on her fight with Espar- Esparza and tell and show people not just not just that the clear, the clear and obvious thing that She's a better athlete, she's just going to steamroll her, but actually set the table to explain how and why Esparza might actually beat her. Because everybody's going to say Cavillo's the favorite, but that's the easy way to go. Tell me if Esparza can beat her, and then tell me how she can beat her. And I'm going to use these other opponents and give multiple examples of what Esparza, and in the end, give multiple examples of how and why Esparza can beat her based off actual things she's done in fights and based on the level of opposition she's faced in those fights.
0: I mean, you basically said it all there. Um, this is a big moment for her, and I think that, that with that division kind of being opened up, I, th- I think it's a win that, that she really does need. She needs it definitely more than it does at this point in time. Um, what am I working on? I am working on a piece, actually, right now, just kind of, a, not I want to say fluff piece, but just something I've been thinking about of more um, grapplers who are making their way into the space of professional wrestling. I'm working on that. Keeping a close eye on this Panthers game tonight to see how well they do. And uh, I've probably got some other stuff coming out for the sites uh, this week as well. So just keep your eye on ratingsnet and everywhere else that our content flows through. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Check us out on iTunes, um, YouTube, Stitcher, SoundCloud. SoundCloud. Stitcher. Yep, there you go. Um, check, out, check us out there. Like and share our content. And we appreciate the time that you take to listen to the MMA Ratings podcast every Thursday, usually around 8 o'clock.
1: Yeah, and once again, if y'all have any questions or there's anybody you think you might wanna have us trying to get on the show, please feel free to uh, share it with us and uh, share it with your followers because the best way to get new guests on and for us to approach new topics is if we see an interest in the people who listen to the show wanting to discuss, see certain, certain guests on the show or wanting to discuss certain topics. Unlike a lot of shows, we are here for the fans and we're doing this all out of our love for the sport and our love in educating people about the sport so you tell us what you want to see you tell us what you want to hear and you know we're always on Twitter you can always reach me or Raphael and we're gonna do our best to accommodate you because we are here for you first and foremost and we want to thank you for the uh, upkick we've had in, in views and for the interaction you've had directly contacting me about the quality of the show and telling us about um, things you want to see on the show we just we're just here for you we're doing our very best on your behalf
0: thanks guys and uh, be sure to check us out next week
1: all right you take it easy sir
0: have a good one